We are not millennials. We are matured. Brought up on collaboration as an art form. Delivered as value. Wow, that's nearly as good as the last one, but not quite. <laughs> but then again, you've obviously not watched any wrestling programs in the meantime. No, no, I haven't. Good, thank goodness I haven't. No. And are you all refreshed? Not at all. Really? <laughs> well, it's holiday time. We missed out a whole podcast, so you had a month off. Yes, yes. And, and uh, I, I had a great holiday. And like every SharePoint person, we all went to France. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. It's funny because we met up in the south of France for a lovely dinner with some nice, f- typical French frog legs for me. You did, yes. yes. That was cool. Awesome. Yes. And uh, Phil Wirrell, he ended up in, from, uh, in France. He went to the same place that we went to, so he was swapping some places around. Awesome, yeah. Uh, uh, two members of my team, they also went to the same area of, of France. Yeah, so even my sister, we, we had lun- uh, dinner with my sister as well in Avignon. So wow. that, that was awesome. Yes, exactly. But I got to do my whiskey tour as well. I did a whole bunch of whiskey. Oh, man. I, my, so yeah. freaking jealous. Yeah. Well, you know, my family know that if they want to make me happy, if I mention the word distillery at least once or twice. And what was really cool about this is that the whiskey that I tasted on the very first day. So we drove down to Dijon. Mm-hmm. And so we did those. And then we stopped and had a meal. And the very first whiskey that I did on the first day, I visited the distillery for a whole morning on the last day. And I bought nearly every version of whiskey they had as a sample. Is that good? That was, it was good. Well, you tasted a little bit of it earlier. Yes, I did. It's interesting. Some of it's awesome. Some of it's interesting. Uh uh, Well, all of it's interesting. But yes, so I got into a bit of the whiskey. And that's not even what we're going to taste today. We've got even something more weird and special for today. Yes, I I already know the story. And it makes me super curious about how this is going to taste. It is a great story. So we'll cover that one a little bit later. Yes. And we have to do a, a shout out for the date, 12 September 2021. Everybody needs to put it into your diary now because we have a date for a one inch party. I'm not here that day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm in London. Okay. So I'll have to, we'll have to be doing this remote. So, because okay. uh, I'm staying in London for the whole of the beginning of September, and you're joining me yes. for Commsverse, of course. I am. Mm-hmm. So that uh, I will be in London that day. But anyway, the 12th of September uh, is our one-inch party. And that's um, good because then I can stay at home. You can. And I think I've got a f- more than one-inch bottle. I hope you've got more than one inch. <laughs> yes, but somebody had few, to say it. Okay. I've got a few bottles that might have just a little bit left, so I might be. Yeah. Oh, okay. This yeah. this means that I hmm. have to remember to take my inch with me because I'll be traveling from the third yes. or something. Yes. So I need to take my inch with me, 
And if I forget, I'm going to have to buy a bottle of whiskey and drink everything except <laughs> an inch of it before the 12th of September. You know, you've got these little five centiliter bottles as well. So. Yeah, well, we'll yeah, see. We'll not see. that much. But anyway, fun. folks, this is what we want to do on the 12th of September, okay? We want to uh, set up uh, a call for everybody to be on there. We're going to record it. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to do it live, but I've got this thing in the back of my head that says it should be live streamed. But maybe that's too much for it to ask. And um, the whiskey that we're tasting tonight, I am going to put a two-shot sample into the box. And you will get a sample of what is tonight's very, very unique and different whiskey. So whoever does the best kind of presentation and tasting on the 12th of September will get a shot of a whiskey that has been matured in a glacier. All right. We'll oh, go boy. into the details later. So that's okay. that's the thing. Now, Moraine says that he's got this all organized. Yes. He's going to play around with MST. I'm, I'm going to set up a, a, a meetup uh, thingy, and then we're just going to have a, a Teams meeting. Everybody's invited. Everybody can just come on in, join us, and we'll all have our little one-inch presentation. So what I need everyone to do is just talk about their whiskey that they're going to drink, uh, talk about why it's so important to them, why there's only one inch left, and uh, do a live tasting and tell us all how amazing it is. That sounds like the most stupid question ever. Yes, why is there only one of course, inch left? We <laughs> because will I've be... drank the rest. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. It why might... did you leave an inch behind? That it, would be a it better might, question. It might be something awesome. Like this bottle was from my grandfather and... Yeah, he passed away and he left me this one inch. Did I don't you see, know. Did you see the uh, the Facebook tweet from uh, the guy in the UK? His name I forgot. The musician guy. The, uh, mus- the, the, the musician guy who's going to shout at me because I forgot his name. You know okay. the guy that played with Prince and stuff and and oh oh Spence Harbor. Spence yes. Harbor. Okay, he actually showed a bottle that he bought for him and his father. Yes, so I saw that. that was a great yes, story, exactly. and uh, I guess that's where it came from. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so there we go, 12-inch parties, that's the first thing. And the second shout-out, my friend? Is to Marcus Rowell. He, yes. uh, he tweeted us, actually, and he said how much he enjoyed our podcast. Thank you so much, Marcus. And he actually said, look, um, I really want to know how important uh, the the leadership uh, buy-in is how important it is to get your sea level uh, aboard your project in order to have a good project in order to have your project succeed yeah so he was talking about buy-in it was really yeah. good because we often talk about obviously we talk about the features and facilities and what goes wrong doesn't work and how dare jeff let us but we also talk a lot about adoption and getting people yes. prepped and and then and i think it's important that, and this whole buy-in thing. So when he tweeted that, I kind of got the whiteboard out and put some first ideas around. And, and it turned out to be an interesting subject to talk through. Exactly, um, yes. We also we, had a had a little, uh, how do you call it, a helpline, a, a lifeline. Yeah, we talked to a change manager, not an IT change manager. Exactly. Get some feedback from uh, from him. Um, yes, so, and Th- that, thank that you. Was in- thank you, Jan, if you're listening. Yeah, yeah, uh, very yes. expensive that was as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but there you go. So yeah, Moraine called his uh, his stepfather and well, said, "Hey guys." <laughs> yeah, I now know he's a he, he likes Jameson whiskey. So 
I, oh. I I know what his presence will will be. Nice, so. nice, nice. Right. I, yeah, cask mate. Yeah, go with that. All right. So let's talk about what we are going to talk about then. So we're going to basically try and talk about sea level buy-in. So I'm going to I'm going to kick off with just an overview, and then I'm going to let Moraine kick in a bit because we we had a chat about this at the beginning, and my stance when we first started talking about this was that I cannot remember a project where the kind of the aspects of bringing in Office 365 or any other kind of IT change was clear for the senior management or the C-level of the buy-in. Yes, they knew what their investment was, blah, blah, blah. But it always seemed to be, you know, 25% into the project. There's a dawning moment with these people and they go, oh, that's what you're changing. Well, maybe that's a bit obvious, but that's what this change means, is if you somehow can't get it through to them from the beginning mm -hmm. and that was when you suggested potentially let's get some input from uh, some change people which i thought was a really really good idea so that was a c-level buy-in and from a user level buy-in it's kind of fairly easy because hey the force is changed upon them the mm -hmm. change is forced upon them let's get yes. that the right yeah. way around yeah. and secondly it's easier to identify the value you're going to get better tools or better process or whatever mm -hmm. um and so that was that was kind of my step i don't know whether there's anything you want to add to that well there the, the idea of getting uh sea level buy-in to me in order to enforce user buy-in was kind of a strange concept because to me if the manager says like hey this is what you need to do because it's important i'm not buying it I, I, I want to make sure that I understand why it's important and how it's going to affect me. And to be honest, if if some old geezer says that this is going to be important because of this and this, yeah, right. Maybe. Yeah. All right. So be clear then. So yep. the first thing, the subject matter is how we improve buy-in. Okay. So mm -hmm. from a user value perspective and a leadership value perspective. And so... That that literally, and the reason I'm doing this is because we, when we talked about this earlier, it gets really confusing. So we're going to try and keep focus on that user buy-in and that C-level buying in the bigger picture of delivering digital transformation and change. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so that's what we're going to try and to do. And so where the freaking heck are we going to start? Yes, because a few episodes ago, we asked everyone what we could improve in our podcast. Uh, we got 100% of the votes to structure. <laughs> so Steve bought a whiteboard and we were just writing on the whiteboard. And as a result, we now get a super complex whiteboard with uh, uh, tons of stuff in tons of different colors. And now the question is, okay... Where do we start? Where do we start? Well, there's a couple of things then. We want to make sure we keep focus then on, on literally the user buy-in and success because we're yes. looking to implement the change. Mm -hmm. So just so let's start off with what are we expecting from the C-level in terms of what we're expecting them to do? Yeah. Because that needs to be their buy-in to this. And I honestly think there's some truth in what I say that a lot of projects start without those C-level, C senior management. I'm just going to keep calling them C-level. They might yes. not be C-level, but yes. that, that senior mm -hmm. management yes. level of person. Mm -hmm. So that C-level, they 
they're a driver because one of the things that they are is they're uh, the visionary and the lead around this. You go to them and you say, we need to digitally transform. We need to go to Office 365. These are the uh, investment opportunities, the return on investment. These are the benefits. And they will accept those. They'll say, how much will it cost? Yes, And so you'll tell them yeah. and they'll approve a budget. Mm-hmm. And then A you budget tend- for an outcome. Yeah, a budget mm-hmm. for an outcome. And yeah. then you walk away because now you're going to focus on the user buy-in. Yes. That's actually how I have done it in the past every time. And yeah. now I have to I have to say, with our uh, little call that we had just earlier, it kind of changed my mind. But more on that later. Yeah. Yes. So we need uh, those uh, C-level people to give us money. Yep. Uh, define together with us the outcome yep. because we as an implementator we need to know what their issues are where they want to go and we Agreed. can help them say okay uh, like the example you gave me earlier uh, we can say okay but these and these and these things are now also possible and then they will yep. go oh we didn't know that it's chicken and the egg story Agreed. So let, let's assume we'll come back on the sea level then. So what yep. we're going to do in this podcast, people, we're going to tell you and show you some problems that we think we perceive, some ideas, and we're, we're just going to try and change your thoughts on that sea level buy-in. Because quite honestly, we can't do much more in, in an hour. No. All right. So that's the sea level stuff. Tell me about the user buy-in, Moraine. All right. We know some of the changes we're going to make to them, but what else do we need to be aware of in terms of user buy-in? Well, we need to make sure that um, they are willing to accept the change. Yeah. And to be able to willing to accept the change, you get either people like me who say, okay, I'll, I need to know more about this before I can accept this. But you can also have people who have the belief into that C-level. So they will either say, okay, because... RC level says this is the way to go. That means I will follow and I will do this because if they say this is for the good of the company, we will definitely follow. I think this brings us into those five why thingies that we've we've talked about exactly. in the past. It's it's important to understand that from a user buying perspective, they understand why they're going down that line, why the managers are you know driving it forward, why they can put the extra effort into changing. Uh, and why they will see value out of it in the end. And if they don't understand those, then you're not going to get them bought in because it's very easy for the end user to go, meh, yeah, meh is a good one. I'm being told to do this. So transforming is not my responsibility. I would just do as I'm told. And that you're not going to succeed that way. No. And that's also where you get... Um, this this other realization that I that I had earlier today was okay. So the C, senior management they will give you the goals. We are going to digitally transform. We're going to a hybrid workspace. We are going to redefine how we do collaboration. We're going to redefine how we do document management. And because they do that, that will trickle down to the management below that senior management because they will be given uh, goals, things that they need to get. And that will translate into really tangible things that the line managers need to do. Like you need to go 
from your file share to SharePoint by the end of this quarter, for example. So they will get goals and because they, those line managers or medium managers, uh, they get those goals. They can now translate that into tangible actions for the end users of their department and their team. Yeah, so basically the, the, the aspects of change we know we talked about is that, hey, we've got new technology coming in. People need to understand how to use it. They need to see the benefits of it. Uh, and then they need to be motivated to, to, to actually drive and be changed. Yes. You know, change me, change me. You know, I'm all ready. And that then probably takes us back to, to the uh, C level then or to the senior management level. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that they really need to understand that they have to take on board is that alignment of those visions so the vision at the senior level and the vision at the lower level so they can communicate that vision and they need to be that ambassador lead those lead ambassadors in terms of leading people into the new dimension the new level of change exactly and what is also super important is that we come in as consultants we know sharepoint we we know office 365 we know we know that stuff we don't know the company yet in the beginning of the company. So that's why we need the vision of that end of that sea level uh, in order to translate what we are going to do, what we're going to mean for the company, the change that we're going to bring to the company. They need to translate that into what it will actually mean for that company. Agreed. I think we've got a great statement there. They need to recognize the value of the outcome. Because that will drive their messages and their wording and everything else. Exactly. Yes, but they don't, not only do they need to recognize the value of the outcome, they also need to be able to translate that into a message that is believable and um, acceptable yeah. is acceptable a exactly acceptable, acceptable to the workforce. for the yes and, and that's true I, I i have a number of projects running and one of those projects particularly is a, a you know a medium-sized organization they wanted to go to office 365 and so the first thing they did was they're in that position as as being the leaders for the organization there's a bit of a reputation around that, yeah, yeah, they say these things and then they never get delivered. Mm -hmm. So we're very much trying to work to the point where we can get this stuff delivered right and quickly. And then there's a learning episode for you and I. So we're the person that is taken on by the senior management team to deliver this stuff. Okay. Well, let me, let me stop you there because are we? We're not uh, always... Well, we're not always getting there because of sea level most of the projects i'm i'm in i will report to the it manager not to the cfo not to so the where does cmo the it manager does the it manager not live in the senior management board he does but it doesn't mean i've got buy-in from the whole c no no, no exactly so I, I agree with you entirely yeah. it, it could well be that that's not where you're at but we can see the change because we've lived it several times before. Yes. We can tell them about the change mm -hmm. and they can just accept it. Mm -hmm. But there's, their position is, I don't need to worry about this because I have a consultant that is driving this change. So it's very easy for them to do the shoulder thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just brush it off. Yeah. 
yeah. that side. Um, and so, yes, I don't need to worry about it. And then all of a sudden, 25% of the way through the project, 30% of the project, they actually start to realize the implications of what they kind of agreed the time and the budget for. And so I think it's really important that there is this this ability to be very, very transparent and aware for both sides of the problem. So it's very easy for senior managers to say, you're going to change. We're going to roll out Office 365 and you're going to see a better way of collaborating. You're going to have tools that allow you to exchange content a lot easier. You can share things a lot easier. Your e emails will be easier to manage and find. Content, better knowledge you know, management. Yeah, all yes. those kinds. Yes. Those things are just statements. Mm -hmm. You did a great triangle, all right, showing the relationship between the senior managers, those users that needs to be in there, and the implementation of it, and that balance that needs to be maintained mm -hmm. all the time. Yes. So you can't just, from a senior management perspective, saying, okay, come back on the 30th of every month, tell us how the project's going. Yes, like a typical project where you got a steering committee Correct. and every end of the month you have to explain what is happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this important message is that you need to make sure the senior managers are in there. And not just one, by the way. It's not just the person on your stakeholder board. They need to understand the implications of this vision and the alignment. And they need to understand the familiarity. They need to be very familiar with what is going to change. Mm -hmm. And then I believe they're in a position where they can actually lead the rest of the organization and say, hey, not, we're not just throwing this on the wall and saying we've done it and it's here and away you go. There's a level of belief that they can actually transmit and share between the user and the, and the senior management. And I think that's important. So if you're going to run this level of stuff, you have to make sure that they understand what is going to happen and the end result and it's not just about time and budget and checking a few boxes and then the question is of course how do you do that how do you make sure that your c-level is fully on board and fully aware and knowledgeable about what you're trying to do and are that, you going and that's to... what i left over for you to explain to us now right <laughs> Oh, no. Are you going to onboard them first? Will they be your your first, um, how is that, guinea that pigs. bell curve? The guinea pigs. Yeah, the guinea pigs, yes. So will they be the first one? Because then they also have to deal with all the, uh, yeah, the, the errors that we made. Um, uh, I'll tell you a great story. Uh, okay. Some years ago, uh, I was working with Catch Matt, with, uh, with Matt on a project uh, uh, for a, a restaurant company in the UK. And uh, the IT manager was a smart cookie. Okay, so he brought me in as the, at the consultant level. Thing. Was, Matt was obviously doing all the, the build work underneath, mm -hmm. which is great. And um, so I got sent around to go and talk to all the other directors on the board to understand what they want to get out of this project. Yeah. And that is valuable. That's one of the that things I would tell That is super valuable. Get one-to-one -one meetings with all of those set, those senior managers and ensure, mm -hmm. help them understand and find out what they want. But anyway, he sent me to go all the way around that. And um, and then we did some building work based upon what his vision was. But I was the one that had to go and present it to all of these people. He was kind of going, I'm here. I'm not going to be tainted with anything that might go wrong. So I was standing in front of all of this board presenting what we'd built in the SharePoint site and how it was going to look. And we'd done a complete rebranding of it. And this IT manager was 
suddenly aware that these people were now on the, online and they were already playing with it and working with it. And I literally got barged out of the way and he just took over the presentation. Of course. Because yes. I did the job right. I got that management buy-in to the po- and that senior manager's buy-in to the point that they were in the board meeting online looking at it, playing with it, started to work on it. And of course he went, this is my project. Of course. <laughs> but that is that's actually what you want to have because that is 100 percent buying 100 percent ambassador, ambassador lead. of yes. the it manager he will say no well this was my project i led this project this is going great now look at what we've done but but never ignore that there is politics involved in this oh politics you know? is i i would say on that sea level politics is is 10 times, 100 times more important than on a user You have to keep scale. your feet on the ground and yes. well-connected. But, but that was that's one of the advantages, face-to-face meetings on one-to-one basis mm-hmm. and make sure you understand what their beliefs are. Okay. So uh, anything else we can add to that? I think uh, ensuring transparency and all those kinds of things. So that's good. Um, you also put some tools on there as well as part of your brain fart earlier. Oh, so yeah. Some of the things that would help communications because um, one of the things that Jan said is that Cross-communication is really key yes. between uh, the C-level buy-in and the user buy-in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, I was I was just thinking, okay, how can we make this uh, practical? How can we leverage our own Office 365 tools in order to make that happen? So we've got, of course, like town hall meetings in Teams, but we, we also have this blog capability so people can write news on these gorgeous SharePoint uh, news pages. But there's also something new in Yammer and uh, it's coming. It's being rolled out uh, right now and it's called Post on Behalf of. Yep. There's quite a bit of controversy around this from a soft skill perspective because... If I can now post something on behalf of the CEO talking about how cool this SharePoint thing is that we're rolling out. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of, if, if people find out that it was not actually the CEO who wrote that, but somebody else, that's not going to do wonders for his credibility in the project or yeah, not credibility so. for the project and credibility for the CEO. Well, I, I think the reality is that CEOs, they don't write their own material. They may well have the idea and they may well put the six bullet points together, but generally they have better things to spend their time on. But but it's important. The idea of a communications role in the overall change project is, yes. is, is quite key in terms of you know making sure the value is in the right place at the right time. Exactly, because what do we want those C-level people to do in our project. We want them to communicate to our end users, to our line managers, to our end users around, okay, this is what the change will be. This is where we're heading. Uh, these are the things that we require of you. Yeah. So that's a bunch of communication. We need them to formulate a vision and we need them to be an ambassador throughout the project. I like the way you see the word formulate the vision. Yeah. Because the reality is they probably won't. The reality is they know where they want to get to. They don't know how to get there. No, but that's okay. But understanding, uh, I agree with you, that it's a a kind of workshop visioning and 
and envisioning scoping role and and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And also, they have a lot of information available. And we'll finish off a little bit at the end around kind of uh, the energy and all that kind of stuff and the resources that are needed here. But they do understand the business. And there's a lot of stuff that we would need as part of the team making this project work from them mm -hmm. to be able to move it forward. Let's focus on the user buy-in uh, side again because mm -hmm. I think that's equally important. So there's uh, uh, do we know what we need to do for the user buy-in? So they see that their senior management now believe in this change. Mm -hmm. They see them there as ambassadors. They see them using the new tools. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's leadership by example. So there's they, an they environment will, yeah. there. They will get goals uh, in order to comply with that new vision, with that new thing that is being rolled out. They will get goals to move their stuff across, to uh, start working in a different way. Um, mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and um, how do we measure that? How do we actually measure that this is moving forward? Because at some point now we have this sea level buy-in really motivated about the change. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to wait 18 months for this change. They're going to want to see those things done quickly. Again, the agile approach is nice, small, you know, um, uh, pieces of work that we can implement and see value from. Um, what kind of support do the users need to be able to buy into this project? What do they need to see? They still have a day job to do. It's true, and, and that is one of the difficult parts with, uh, or it's a hidden cost of the whole project, is because those people still need to do their 9 to 5, but they also need to do a bunch of extra things because of the change that we're forcing upon them. So how do you measure that change? So we, we know where we want to get them to. Mm -hmm. So we want you to, if we take, take our Microsoft 365 stuff, there may be a new email system. You yep. got So they need training. They need to use it. Mm -hmm. They still need to be able to respond to their emails. So you need to do it in a way that that people are motivated towards. Mm -hmm. um, their content was on a file share. It's now going to be in a SharePoint site. So uh, again, I guess there's training. Yep. There's yep. there's things that mm -hmm. they need to look and yep. do. How do um, you measure that? Well, I think there are two things that you can measure. You can measure the actual progress. Okay, how many people are already using the new? email system how many percentage of the people are now moving over or have their documents over to the new system that um, you can even talk about how many gigabytes do we have left on the old system how many have we already transferred so that's super measurable and what you can also do is measure by some kind of form on the, the question on for every user or a bunch of users, how much do you believe in this project and how how happy are you with this new change? So the people think. Because one, yes. one of the, the things we wrote on the board earlier was about uh, how much of an effort we, this is going to take. If we take the resources, then, you know, 20% of what you're going to be doing are just common sense decisions. So, yeah, you know. So that, I really like that quote uh, that Jan uh, gave us from back in his days in the university. Uh, apparently, his professor said, okay, 15% of the things are things that you're going to learn, uh, you're going to implement, you're going to learn in this class. 15% of the things will be common sense and 70% will be dealing with people. Yep. And the, that's definitely what we have as well. Unknown. We can 
formulate and we can we can build awesome things and we can create metadata fields and set up a whole managed metadata thing and create a whole site structure if people don't want to use it or they don't know how to use it or they refuse to use it it's all for nothing yeah so we can we can talk about measurement that uh, around how much content is being migrated, how much documents are being uploaded, how many sites are being created. Mm -hmm. So you can see that growth. What you, you need to be able to do is to understand what is not going right and what is not going wrong. And Jan came up with this wonderful little concept around what he called fail demand. And mm -hmm. um, I think there's there's a level of that because everybody tracks tickets, everybody tracks you know, requests for something that doesn't work and all those yeah. kinds of things. And I think it's interesting that you try and work out... So he came up with these two terms, fail demand and value demand, okay? Mm -hmm. And they, they're kind of linked, but they're not exactly linked. So a failed demand is when you roll out MS Teams and you know it's working because you've used it for six weeks before you roll it out, but then you suddenly find that you're starting to get a lot of tickets and you're having to phone people up because their um, authentication is not as smooth as it could be. Mm -hmm. So that when they log into their Windows environment, they're not being logged into MS Teams. Now all of a sudden they have to log in twice. Yeah. And so that fail demand is that you failed to see that demand coming. Yeah. Now, when you count those number of tickets that you're you're getting in, then I believe you can start to try and work out how you can create those value demands as he was talking about and they are kind of measurable i see them as measurable i know that when yan you listen to this you're going to say steve doll we really didn't get this and i i get it. it it is complex so i'm trying to keep it simple for everybody identify those failed demands is important so how many mm -hmm. tickets you get how well your training went yeah uh, whether people are trained training twice they're all demands that are costs and they're all kind of unplanned work yeah. They're extra things you need to put effort into. And so measuring those, tracking those, means that when you do your next wave, and your next wave, you can use them as a continued kind of in, in, in investment process. Oh, yeah. And, you, and you can actually, if you go to your second wave or your third wave, you can actually see if, your, if the amount of new tickets will decrease. Correct. Yeah. Because okay. you, you update your training. You, yes. Oh, everybody's asking questions about the login. Hey, uh, uh, Active Directory people, people are not getting logging in here. There's no trust between you know my local Active Directory and you know those kinds of things. Um, and I think that the kind of value demand for me, and again, I'm happy to accept. I maybe didn't fully understand this, but the value demand for me is testing this stuff as if I was a user and understanding where it might fail, yeah. so that everything they do is adding value. Yeah. It's, I'm demanding a new service and I'm getting value from it. It's a value demand. So one you can plan for, one you can't plan for, and one you can use, I think, as, as a way. And they all involve people. That's the important part of this. It's not about technical failure. It's about how the technical failure has affected the user in terms of, you know, the, the, and the return investment is always lower if you end up with a lot of people stuff to deal with. So yeah. certainly you sure. need to kind of uh, fix that in place. Mm. That's that's a really great way to actually streamline your own process. Yeah. Well, I, I always deal with processes at the management level. So whenever whenever I'm dealing with senior team here, uh, I go 
tell me your processes. Well, we do this and we do that. No, no, tell me your end-to-end processes. So, you know, uh, your order process. So how do you, how do people know where your product is? Oh, that's marketing. Okay, so how does marketing get that out to the users? And these are all information flows within your process that are going to have a direct effect on the end users. And if without those processes and without the users saying what they do and then marrying them together. So it's really important that, uh, and that drives things like that fail demand. Because if I, if, if my process used to be done in six days and now it's done in nine days, I need to know why, because I didn't bring my, any return on investment. So Mm -hmm. you need to understand that. So processes are are quite key to this. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Something else that Jan mentioned, which we, we quite smiled about is when there's a, a lack of vision between both sides, the end user buy-in side and the C-level buy-in side, there's many opportunities for people to misinterpret the change that they are supposed to be delivering in and using the buy-in from the C-levels to get their way or their interpretation of doing the change. This idea of politics yeah. being brought in. And that's really important that the key message for the senior management is you are, you are leading them in a certain direction. You know, mm-hmm. Understand that vision. Stick with the vision. It can still change as long as we all agree it's changed. But if somebody says, oh, this would be better if I did this, don't kind of just go, yes. Think about whether it fits in with that with, with the vision that we're of the change and the change that we're trying to do. Otherwise your return on investment will be low. And we're back to that triangle again. Everything fits into that triangle in, many, in so many different ways. I want to do this. So C-level says yes or no. The end user says I see the value. And then the implementation gets actioned and the change is, is enabled and, and mm-hmm. updated. Yeah, It's a, an interesting relationship. So Marcus Rell obviously knew what he was talking about when he said, guys, I'd like to understand what your beliefs are on this. Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> So just to pull one or two bits from the list uh, before we kind of round this off, and then I think we can potentially think about uh, talking about the whiskey. We're at 35 minutes here, so it's not too Mm -hmm. bad. Because I think we were very good at actually focusing. Drilling down on each uh, separate uh, part, yeah. All right. So why don't you start with uh, what what are the key things that we brought out today? One one item that really speaks to you from all the things that we've been... uh, well, one Aspects. item that really speaks to me, as I said earlier, um, so for me as a user, when I was still working for a boss, if the boss says, okay, this is where we need to go, I wasn't really buying it. But now I see that there are two ways how you can actually turn that around. Either a user can believe senior management and say, okay, I believe if you say this vision is the is the the way uh, we're going to, okay, that's cool. I will believe you and I will follow you. Or what they could also say is, um, I don't necessarily believe one hundred percent what you're saying, but I'll play the politics game. And if I support you on this one, maybe you can support me later on my own project that I want to do or the, the things that I want to do later. So if I'm a good team player here, I'll take one for the team and maybe uh, you can uh, have my back on a, on a later project. Um, cool, cool. That as well as the drill down of that vision. So C-level has that vision and that will 
trickle down to the line managers and they will get tangible goals, tangible outcomes that they need to achieve in order to support that vision, in order to get that vision implemented. So for you, it's about everybody understanding the deliverables and what there has to be done to make the change happen. Yes. Because you've been focused on that quite quite a lot. So yes, that, yes, that, absolutely. That. that is that's the, the big oh, eye-opener for me. Yeah. So from my perspective, um, I'm going to focus on, this, on the senior management level. And mm -hmm. I really think that what they need to do is to make sure they fully understand and they are familiar with all the aspects of the change that they want people to adopt. Okay, so it's not just about telling the users, hey, this is what a new document library looks like and this is how it works. Then the senior manager need to understand, okay, you know, the first time you tell them, only 20% of these people are going to get this. Yeah. And then you've got to work out how to do the next 40. And I need you to be aware, be familiar that this is the change you're asking them to do and understand that implementer implementation, that implication, sorry, of where you need to go. And that means that your throughput may well drop for three months. Yeah, because they are taking on that extra work. Exactly, mm -hmm. which brings us, uh, which brings, so that, that understanding is important for the senior managers, but it brings us to something that Jan brought out, which I really, really appreciated. And this was, um, it, it, he called it energy management, but he, he, he said it was an alternative to something else. To soft skills. Soft skills, because that's right. Because managers don't like to be trained in soft things. They yeah. are hard men and women and they get shit done. So they don't want to have soft skills thingies. So, so this idea of energy management is that we all have a certain amount of energy. Yeah. Okay, we all come in and we start and turn our computers on at 8 o'clock or 6 o'clock, whatever time in the morning, and you know that you have to keep going till 4 o'clock or 6 o'clock or whatever time you normally finish, you know you have to get a certain amount of work done. And you've been doing that for five years. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden, the senior managers and the organization, as part of their familiarity of change, part of their transparency, Part of the fact that 70% of this is about people. They're suddenly saying, hey, there's this extra amount of work to do. And it's about managing that energy. So, for example, if you have six people on a senior management team that is dealing with sales and production. Your phone kind of picked that up. Okay, great. That's, That's fine. fine. Uh, my my uh, my Siri equivalent on my Android. Anyway, so there's six people on that senior management board. They all have their day jobs to do. So they have to deal with their sales figures. They have to deal with their marketing. They have to deal with those product designs and production. All of that stuff still needs to be done. Mm -hmm. As well as now, familiarity of change, attending scoping boards, uh, being energetic, be lead, being an ambassador. They all need to do all of those kinds of things. So they need to supply it. So they need to supply energy. They need to maintain it for themselves so that, yes, they either accept that for the next six months, I'm going to be doing a 10-hour day. Um, and then they need to drive it. And they can't do that just by bringing in extra people into the management team. They're a team. Yeah. They, they work together. They they. They have their own goals. They know what they're doing. And bringing in an extra person to carry the extra workload is not going to work very well. 
So energy management from the senior management down is important. But also, though, it's also important for the users at the buy-in. Definitely. And it's also important for the project itself. Well, let's focus on the, the end users first of all. Yeah, and then, sure. And then I sure. think the big picture yeah. is important because mm -hmm. we're going to give them extra training. So this idea of being that they would need to manage their own time, yes. their own efforts, and mm -hmm. we don't overdo it for them. No, exactly. So the, the problem with that energy management on sea level is, okay, so they've got their day job, which is super hard because they need to figure out where the company needs to go to in a certain amount of time. So the CFO has to take all kinds of financial decisions. Marketing has to do all kinds of uh, like new campaigns that they need to have to come up with. Um, so they're working a lot with creativity. Correct. Um, and to have that extra work on there in order to formulate that vision to communicate that vision as an extra and do the change themselves is is an extra job. Now yeah, for the users... That, just to add yeah. to that, uh, it's our job to make them aware of this. Yes. Because they don't do a change project every day. No. Whereas we see it all the time. So it's important yeah. then I think as, as we're trying to sell this time and budget that we also say, guys, be aware. This is going to take more of your effort and you need to buy into that and you need to show people you're willing to do that because you're going to ask them to do the same. Exactly, yeah. So in one of my early projects, we actually had the CEO do uh, breakfast sessions, 30-minute yeah. breakfast sessions. You come up an, a half an hour early to, to, do, to work and uh, there will be croissants and coffee for everyone and the CEO is going to talk half an hour about how important this project Perfect is. Perfect example awesome. of what we're asking yes. them to do. Great. Um, then you got user buy-in. So the user, they have tangible tasks. So for example, somebody who works in finance, okay, there are uh, 100 invoices and they need to process those 100 invoices by the end of the day. So those are tangible, measurable things that they need to do. Plus now they also need to learn how this new system works. They also need to deal with some of those failed demands because they will probably try to do something that they've been doing for the last 12 years and suddenly it doesn't work that way and they maybe they miss a field that they normally fill out or they can't find some kind of document or a template. Yeah. So that's a bunch of extra work uh, for uh, our end users and that's going to drain a lot of that energy. Now, the third part, and that it actually comes back to that little triangle that I drew about C-level end user and the implementation. The implementation also carries with it some kind of energy. Because if a project goes well, everybody's super energetic. Everybody's willing to go the extra mile because the project is going so well. Yep. Everybody's happy. Things are changing. The, ch the change is adopted. That's ah, awesome. But when that changes, so when C-level or users kind of drop in that energy, go to a lower energy, it's not going so well. Things start to get a little rusty. There are a lot of tickets coming in. Then the, the implementation project itself is also going to suffer from a drop in that energy. I agree. And it's important to monitor that and, and to exactly. track that. Exactly. And they all, all these three things, so C-level, end user, and implementation, 
when one of those three things drop in energy, it has a direct effect on the other one because Correct. for the end user when they when that energy drops they're going to complain to the c level hey it's not working so c level is going to talk to implementation hey i got a lot of complaints that it's not working when the c level uh, energy drops then the end user is going to say oh it's not that important anymore we don't have to do it anymore cool. so that means that our implementation suffers because nobody wants to adopt it anymore now when our implementation project suffers we're going to get some hiccups and then C-Level is going to say, hey, guys, you're screwing up. I'm not going to pay for this anymore. And then our end user are going to say, hey, this is not working. So then their energy is going to drop. So it, it has an effect. It's, it's, it's a triangle where all three parts are connected to each other. They are. One, they're, they're definitely symbiotic, all yes. three of those roles. There's no doubt about that. But I think that's part of, of what we're looking to get the buy into. Yeah. Cool. Well, that was quite neat. Yes. These are all brilliant stories. All right. This buy-in story from the end user to the management is cool. But we've got some more stories. Jason Wyatt from Audio Codes is going to be at Commsverse. Mercedes World, <gasps> the first touchy-feely in-person conference kicking off in our industry. Yeah. And uh, let's see what he has to say about audio codes and what they're going to be bringing to commsverse commsverse september the 15th and 16th all right let's get this started so we are here as part of converse as part of bringing these sponsors in from this great event and we have jason wyatt with us who came in as jay which confused me i had to double check the name he's one of those people that's got a cool name and a posh email address so why don't That's you right. spend a few minutes introducing yourself, Jay? What do you do? Sure. Um, so, guys, um, I my my official job title is uh, UC, first and foremost a UC consultant, um, and all, I'm also an alliances manager um, across Amir for Audio Codes. Um, the the unwritten bit of what I do is tech marketing, so um, video blogs, um, podcasts. Uh, I write articles. I write documents how-to guides white papers um you know so i've got quite a diverse role within audio codes which you know i i absolutely love um and obviously you know heading up the uh the, the event side of things and that's why i've got lots of kit behind me because you were saying about um you know somebody saying that you know i've got to get things ready no i'm really looking forward to it all of that lots updated all the latest firmware um, you know, my Microsoft 365 environment is up and running, my demo environment. So, yeah, all of this is ready to go. Make calls. Have, have you wow. tested it with the new uh, Windows 365 already? Yes. Yeah, so I, um, we, we had a new um, demo link sent out yesterday to uh, um, the, the part, sort of partner CDX demo environment. And boom, within seconds, M365 with E5 licenses, 20 users set up. And the longest part was logging in each of the phones with a user user account yes. and set, setting up the conference devices. But it was just so easy. I couldn't believe it. It's just boom, easy. All right. All right. Oh, that's very so cool. It's a tough so, question then. Go on. I just wanted to check in. So if it didn't work, Jay, would you have been honest with us? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. That's, that's for a man that's sitting in a shed the bottom of his garden that calls it a log cabin so yeah it's great you guys can't see this but you know it's, it's in this wonderful 
I guess it's a pine cabin. So that's his that's his locker down office, which is really cool. Which is way better than my converted garage. Trust me. I can't trust believe me. you give me grief for it. I, that's it. This is the second time this has happened. I am now going to paint or plasterboard the walls, so no, no, nobody will be any the wiser. <laughs> I think that's pretty awesome. I think that's pretty awesome. So one of the questions we ask all of the sponsors is, I don't know, uh, is how many times did your boss say you had to mention audio codes? Do you have a KPI? Um, no, no. There's, there's no kind of written rule about how many times we mention audio codes, but, you know, audio codes Oops. is a great company. Twice. And... <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, and audio codes are the leading UC um, vendor uh, in you know, the Microsoft space. And it, no, he, he never gave, gave me any kind of, re- basically, you know, I say it a lot anyway. Um, audio know, codes. Do lots of promotion. Audio codes, yeah, definitely. That's audio codes. <laughs> so yeah. so you're, you're kind of, because you said earlier that you're, you're the one who's writing all the technical stuff, doing all the marketing, the YouTubes, the things. So you're the, you're the face of, of the company. Oh, I wouldn't say so much as the face, but um, I, I seem to to get pushed towards a lot of things like like this. So, yeah, I guess I guess I'm I'm at the coal face. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, that works out. So, give us some history about audio codes. So, how long have they been around? You know, where can I get oh. shares? Can you get me a discount? That kind of stuff. Crikey. Um, so, you know, audio codes. Their history. I, mean, I I can't remember the exact number of years. Like thirty plus years, I think. But they cut their teeth on on kind of you know chips and ma- designing manufacturing chips way back when. Um, and you know as times evolved, um, you know they I think initially moved into the kind of SPC space, um, and it's kind of sort of snowballed space? from there. SPC session border controller space. All right. There we go. We're both of course, in the Marina of course. Going, of course, yeah, yeah of course, yeah. Of course, oh, yeah. So I've actually come across two people that are less technical than me talking about a technical event <laughs> called Comsverse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can sort of just awesome. one word. Who told you we were technical? I yeah. just Who told you we were technical. Assumptionary. Comsverse is a very technical event, isn't it? So um, I just, there's a natural assumption that you guys would be technical. Here's the thing. We're there for the beer. That's very honest of you. Actually, and, and why we're there. Speaking, speaking about beer, uh, we're actually, so our podcast combines technology um, and whiskey. That's why we're called this Office 365 Distilled. So uh, we, okay. we want to know what's your favorite whiskey. Um, well, I personally don't really like whiskey but i like all right that's fine then this is over and done with let's just move on no 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 he likes the guy the guy likes bourbon that's cool yeah so Uh yeah you know wild turkey okay that's cool have you tasted have you tasted uncle nesty yet uncle nearest nearest uncle nearest no never no on on your list list. yes make a note And also check oh, out the stories on YouTube. It's a, a whiskey with an amazing story. You like Jack Daniels? This guy taught Jack Daniels how to make whiskey. And the okay. story is amazing. So, uh, so you guys cool. drink gin? Gin seems to be the in thing at the moment. Uh, That's you know, why even, we even my local drink shop gin. down the road. 
<laughs> no. 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 You know, you yeah. know, the big thing this year was hand sanitizer. All the all the big distilling companies were all making hand sanitizer. And the breweries. They all converted. Yeah. And that's what sense. the gin tastes like. <laughs> we don't different drink gin. different no, marketing. Don't. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool, cool. So uh, Microsoft community, it's another question we ask quite regularly. You guys have obviously got one or two events lined up, you said. Are are all of them in the Microsoft community? Do you get involved strongly in that community? Um, You know, guys, we've been working with Microsoft now for the last 20 years, okay? Mm. When Microsoft first launched LCS and Exchange and then to OCS, Office Communication Server, um, you know, we were there with them. And as they've kind of progressed with their UC journey, so is Audio Codes. And we've developed, um, you know, our product range as it's gone along and uh, the features and the, the functionality that we offer, um, the applications that we sort of bolt onto the back of any kind of UC solution from Microsoft. So, you know, we have a long heritage and a long history with with Microsoft. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we absolutely enjoy it. And, you know, our focus is... Um, all things kind of Microsoft. Yes, we do things in, in with with other um, uh, phone providers, uh, UC providers, um, but Microsoft is very much a big part of audio codes and, and what we're doing. And I mentioned audio cool, codes cool. again and again. Oh yeah, no, noticed yeah, it. Yeah, that was course. subtle. Yeah, it was subtle. It, subtle. You, it was audio yeah. codes, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, audio codes. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, it's it's awesome to see that you guys are big supporters of the of the community and that you've been in there from the from the get go. Um, so, what makes Converse so special? Why do you want to be like? Yeah, I, what's okay, the name? So Platinum, Gold, uh, Uber. Yeah, not, this is such Thompson. a super super easy question to answer. Most of the events that we go to um, kind of attract um, a very very kind of. Um, I would say it's kind of C-level or sales kind of audience. What we see from Converse, and we've seen this right from the start, it tends to be a very technical-led audience. You know, we get a lot of technicians and engineers, and, you know, and so the conversation is different. They want to deep dive into into our technology and, and how, it, how it functions. And, you know, and so that's one of, one of the reasons I think that we, we enjoy Converse so much um, is that we're able to then to, to kind of help to, to educate um, uh, the, the guys on the ground, if you like, the ones that are going to be using the kit. That's excellent. Except that that means that we're going to get some hard techie questions with the sound of things, Moraine. Uh-oh. No, no I, yeah. I'll give up on that one. <laughs> <laughs> we might just do that. We might just do that. All right, that's cool. It's cool. So I guess just a couple of questions to finish it off. But um, hybrid working, we're all hearing about hybrid working. And I know it's tempting to say, yeah, it's a kind of bit of a buzzword and blah, 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 and we need to go somewhere else after lockdown and moving out of our garden sheds at the bottom of the garden, that kind of stuff. But in terms of uh, your solutions around hybrid working, what, is, what does this hybrid working mean to you in terms of from home, from the office, blah, blah, blah? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't think it is a buzzword. You see, um, you know, Audio Codes are a global organisation, so we've seen different countries, different states, boroughs, cities have different levels of lockdown okay and that's still going to be the case that's still going to happen we don't know what the future holds all right and and so 
um, you know, looking at the kind of me and we meeting spaces, you know, organizations want employees to come back to the office. They do. But they also have a responsibility to make sure everybody's safe in doing so. And, you know, we're not going to go back to people working within half a meter of each other. And so there's still going to be a proportion of the workforce that are going to work from home. And the only way that you can do that is by this hybrid approach where, you know, big conference rooms. Sure, we'll get back to those. That will They'll go back. But there's going to be a lot more smaller huddle spaces, a lot more smaller meeting rooms so that people can communicate and collaborate still as they have done over the last 16 months. And I think, you know, the last 16 months is it's kind of really catapulted Microsoft Teams and, and UC in general um, out there. And, and it's been widely adopted. So people now are used to using those things. You know, I don't think it's a tool that you're going to be able to take away from people. So we have to all kind of adopt and, and have this kind of hybrid way of working. Do you think it's going to be different, though? How different? So for example, before the lockdown, many of the organizations I was working with were trying to get into this more uh, very much agile, open space kind of working environments, you know, boxes in the corner where everybody just sits around and has a meeting with a whiteboard and that kind of stuff. How is this technology going to be able to apply to you know, that kind of thing where, hey, five of us are in this room here around this whiteboard. It's not a room. It's just a bit of open space. And six people are still working from home. How's the tech going to allow that kind of stuff to to work easily? Because, you know, just simple microphones for a conference call like this for a, is not always that easy to try and organize. So what, well, what tech are we going to start seeing that will make that change? Well, the, the, tech's, the tech's already there. I mean, you can have five people in a meeting room with a whiteboard and you can have them scribbling. Um, you know, and as long as teams can see that whiteboard, teams can translate that into a team's whiteboard. So anybody else that's, you know, remotely looking at that that presentation or, or part of that, that call, they can still communicate and collaborate with the five colleagues they've got in that in, in that space. So um, the technology is there already. This None of this is new. Well, are people going to need a little headphone so they can hear the people around, or is it going to be a big speaker in the office? I was trying to, I'm, I was just looking at this oh, the other day thinking there's a lot more okay. open plan, you know? So this is our RXV80. Okay. This is a an MTR Android device. It's an all in one. This is an audio coast device. It says somewhere audio coast, maybe on the back, actually. Um, you sit this on top, you know. Now, if you're in a conference room, you stick this on top of a TV, okay? Like you've got large TV. Um, and then the sound will come out the speakers and the TV. So, or you can have additional puck devices dotted around the room that are Bluetooth connected to this that can then enhance the audio to maybe you know further away parts of that that conference room. Um, but so so the people within the conference room won't need to have little earpieces. I mean, they'll they'll still be part of the same meeting. They'll still hear, and they'll still be part of this Teams meeting with this device because this will just awesome. log in as the room. Cool. Yeah, it's very cool. looks smart too. Yeah. It does look smart. Is he? Are you going to be sharing this kind of stuff at Consverse? Absolutely. So everything behind me um, is our complete native team suite. Um, so that that ranges from you know high end C four seventy touch phone, which is over in that corner, and then there's down <laughs> to the C four three five, which is a common area phone down there. So we've got four devices, four four phones um and then we've got i'm hopefully hopefully gonna get hold of the mtr windows device which is um you know it's a you know 
desktop with a touch screen that can then work in conjunction with a camera and a screen up on the wall. Um, plus that, that the, the RX VAT and then a few of our other little devices like the RX, RX cam that we've got and uh, uh, a speakerphone. So all of these yeah. things will be on show. Um, along with, we obviously work with Jabra, uh, you know, uh, it's one of our sort of partners um, in uh, in the UC space. And um, so we team up most of the devices with Jabra headsets. So people can really understand um, that, you know, it's not just like a phone on a desk. They can have a headset as well to go with it. Um, so, yeah, all of this will be available at, at Commsverse. I have to say, so, I'm quite looking forward to the, the video representations around, especially those that follow you, you know, somebody starts to talk yeah. and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Moraine? Yeah, well, I was I was kind of thinking, like, would you be ruffling those things or do you have other things that you want to give away as swag and as raffle and prizes? Yeah, what's your swag, swag prize? Come on, swag, swag. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing how many people still go to events with, you know, almost with like a shopping trolley and they're trying to scoop up all the swag <laughs> uh, as they yeah, go past. We, we have one shopping trolley each, okay? So let's be fair here. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's always, always, I always think it's funny that year on year there's, there, there'll be a thing, whether it's like USB drives or squidgies or coffee cups or T-shirts. You know, Spinners, it kind of, it, yeah. It goes round, doesn't it? Um, I mean, we've got a whole kind of plethora of little goodies, like from USB adapters to travel plugs and various bits. So we'll have those available to, to those people that are going to actually have a decent conversation with us uh, and not just come up and go, can I have some swag? Um, uh, and then work we'll, for it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I might try and get hold of a C470 HD that we can raffle off. Um, because that is a it's a phenomenal device. Um, it really is, and uh, and it looks pretty cool too. As 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 a desk phone goes, I know people don't like desk phones, but it's it's pretty cool. Neat. Oh, sounds like some good swag then. After all that conversation, uh-huh. <laughs> definitely neat. So there we go. So Jason, thank you very much for the time. I assume you don't mind being called Jason. It's, uh, I know you're Jay, but Jason. Hey, yeah, my whatever. mother calls me Jason. That's that's fine. Yeah, I said when people call me Stephen, I always say that. Yeah, my mother calls me Stephen, and she kisses me good night. So be careful. Uh, but uh, yeah. <laughs> All no, right, guys, thank you cool. so much. It's been a great, great fifteen minutes. Enjoyed speaking yeah, to you. Yeah, that's fine. Look forward to seeing you in a month's time at Consverse. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll be there. Great. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Thank you. So, actually, Jason and his team sounds like they're going to have a real story to tell at the conference. Yes. Now let me tell you a whiskey story. Ooh. So, uh, we went to France on holiday, and I was going to try and head out to Le Pertuis. Okay. Yeah, and Mm -hmm. they're right on the west coast of France at the island of Race. But I thought... My missus was in for a, a, a journey and I went, you know, that's what we'll do that. But then, of course, we was also monitoring all the lockdown rules and France were getting very heavy and requiring all kinds of stuff to be even go and get something to eat. Yeah. So we decided to go to Italy mm-hmm. and then Italy brought in their green card. So that meant we had to get a bunch of tests. And when we read up what you could do with Switzerland, you could just drive in. As long as you didn't come in by a plane or a train where you needed a bunch of stuff, you could just drive in. So we went to Montreux. We okay. had a great time. Yeah, absolutely superb. If you've not been to Montreux, 
Highly recommend it. It really was very enjoyable. Got lost in the woods and forest and stuff. But <laughs> okay. we have friends in Switzerland and we wanted to go up a mountain. Well, Silver wanted to go up a mountain, which is all cool. So we went to the Jungfrau. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got a restaurant on there called the Top of Europe. Okay. okay. So we uh, we put some time aside and we met our friend and we actually went up the mountain, which was absolutely superb. Train all the way up the top, change. And the first change, um, we stopped and had a drink. And of course, they had a reasonable whiskey list. And I was looking for Swiss okay. whiskeys. So I had a Swiss whiskey. And it was really nice. It was very dark and, and depth and complex. That was cool. Thought no more about it. We went up to the mountain with photos, selfies. It was I recommend anybody doing it. And they've got an ice cave, okay, in the permanent glacier. They have an ice cave. So you can wander around and they've got ice sculptures and everything else. But on the way out, on the left-hand side of the corridor, there's three whiskey barrels. And there's Mm. a label on them that says Swiss whiskey. And I'm going, no. What a coincidence. It was. It was. So they actually do uh, a Swiss mountain whiskey. And the distillery itself is actually uh, just uh, near the lake, near Interlaken that was there. But what they do is that um, they take a a whiskey in a sherry barrel. Mm -hmm. Um, They mature it for three years or four years at ground level outside. Okay. And then they transfer it into the glacier, okay? Into which, the in, ice the cave. The permanent ice cave, the permanent glacier for seven years at minus four degrees. But but why? Why not? <laughs> Actually, I'll tell you why. So we've talked about maturation before, okay? Mm. And we've talked about the fact that obviously what, it, what it's all about is um, the temperature of the wood, um, the the whiskey going Breeding. into and out yes. of the wood mm-hmm. and no recycling. We've talked about the uh, 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 Connemara, that mm-hmm. 22 years, they couldn't work out why at 12 years it gets less smoky, but at 22 years that peatiness is back or the smoke is back from the burnt barrels because it goes and, and cycles around it. And we know that bourbon uh, uh, or Tennessee whiskey, because of the temperature then it takes longer to mature in the barrels because once the temperature drops to minus 25, maturation slows down. In fact, it more or less stops. As it goes to higher temperature, then it goes faster. We know that whiskeys in Asia, yeah, all they, right? they're they mature two years. Six months. Or, yeah, yeah. Because of the heat. Mm-hmm. And we also know that if you want to make a really good beef barbecue, you lower the temperature, you put the beef joint in, you put the cover over and you forget it for four hours. Yeah. And you let it cook and Slow mellow cook. slowly. Uh-huh. So imagine uh-huh. slowing the maturation down of a whiskey because it's a, just at a consistent, never changes, minus four degrees. What would it do to the whiskey? I'm telling you, it gives you such a beautifully complex whiskey and I just could not resist it. And I have to wow. say, I don't think I've spent as much on a single bottle of whiskey it's certainly close to being the close, but I just didn't hesitate, uh, especially as the missus wasn't with me, so I could just go in and do it. You, know? <laughs> you had the um, company credit card yeah, with you. I, okay. Exactly. Yes. So what we're going to drink is we're going to taste uh, the Swiss Mountain Single Malt Whiskey. All right. It's aged 11 years, seven of which uh, in are in the mountain. And because there's not a huge warehouse there, uh, there's only 900 bottles created every year. Okay. So uh, while uh, I, one of us needs to open this while I'm talking, or okay, well, actually, let, let me let me do that. Well, no, let me let me take care of that. All right. So 
what are we actually going to see? So the, the ice palace is at the top of top of this mountain. It's basically the largest glacier in Europe. Um, and so it was done in a pot spill. It's from the uh, Rugen Distillery. It's won a whole bunch of medals. The, the highest thing, Jim Murray, I'm sure you've also heard of Jim Murray and the Whiskey Bible. He gave this a 93.5. But uh, in terms of the colour, well, I think that uh, Moraine will join us in this conversation now. In the bottle, it's actually quite dark. Once you get it out, it has one of those beautiful amber colours. Yeah, in the know. bottle, it's it's brownish. Yeah. yeah, but you get it in the glass, then uh, you're you're really quite cool. Mm-hmm. And if you try and swing it around the glass, there's not a lot of oil in it. There's not a lot of of stick. But um, no, you don't get those heavy tears. No. I can I can clearly see where I swirled it around in the glass. Yeah. But I don't get any fat tears coming down. They will come eventually, but it takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Now stick it under your nose, my friend. That's dark. It is, isn't it? That's dark. Uh huh. Okay. It's consistent. Okay. Um, it's uh, it's dark, but not in a bourbon way. Like not in that sugary way. No. It smells like a bourbon where you've taken out all the sugar. Yes. So it, it has a, a hint of dry sherry. Um, but but not like that big sherry that I really not like that big sherry that I really don't <laughs> like. I'm talking to my glass again under my nose, uh, but but there's a there's this um, that you can hit you can actually get the oak on the nose. Yes, you can get the kind of fruit, subtle raisins and stuff. But there's also a, a kind of bite and, and maltiness about it. You take a nice steady breath. Yes, malt and raisins, definitely. Mm. Yes. I, I'm just letting you know. Oak. It takes yeah. me a long time to drink this whiskey. When okay. I'm, I'm I'm sitting in front of the fire, it takes ages. It's just such a really beautiful drink. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, okay. It it certainly looks beautiful. It smells great. It doesn't smell overly complex. No. Taste okay. it. That's Let, where the depth is. I'm, I'm going in. <laughs> uh, what I found, my experience, is that all the Swiss whiskies I tasted, they all have pepper and chili at the end of them. They all do. For some reason, it seems to be a strong finish. That's definitely a lot of chili on the back. It yes. is. But the taste is dead smooth. Yes. It, it's, it's almost a little like a brandy. It really reminds me of of a bourbon, but without any of the sugar. Correct. Mm. What I what I find is a little bit like uh, a treacle uh, on the tongue when you taste it. Yeah. Uh, but then you get that hit, and you're going to get it more now. You take the second shot. But this seemed to be symptomatic of me. I bought a couple of of, uh, of Swiss whiskies, and they all had that thing at the end. I like it. You're pulling <laughs> your face. I don't know whether that's a good pull or a bad pull. Oh wow, that is it's. It's a weird sensation because you swirl it around in your mouth and you get that those grainy, oaky notes and you swallow it down and, and it kind of feels like it dies down. And then it hits you from behind Boom. with that pepper kick. Yeah. Yeah. It's more of a chili. It's not really pepper. No, no but, but, but if you wait, pepper does come back on the, on the finish. 
So you get that the chili. Dry, very mm. dry pepper. Yeah. Yeah, the the red, yellowy, slightly tingy brown pepper. What what's a dry pepper? I've got no idea what a dry pepper is. I get where you're coming from. It's not sweet pepper, is it? Yes, it, exactly. It's... Yes. But but it's still coming. It, the, the finish on this is amazing. It it's it is still lingering. Yes, and wow. and that's what I think the maturation process does. I think it's that finish, that because if you think of the the lechi the ledeg the that's a wonderfully complex finish and again mm-hmm. it's dark and it's 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 long in the barrel yeah um but it, it also reminds me of uncle nearest's chili finish as well you know that uh, yes on yeah. that bourbon mm-hmm. so for me uh the nose i love all right yeah. it's subtle fruits bit of sherry which is great on the tongue it's kind of like treacly without the sweetness it has that it it kind of flows the smoothness and then as you say you get a big kick in the balls out of nowhere because it's <laughs> not on the nose it's not in your mouth but it's only when you swallow it three seconds later it comes back and haunts you in your dreams it does it's awesome um this is a whiskey that makes me smile every time i drink it I haven't put water in it yet, and I know that you've just finished it as well. But I'll be interested to see what it actually does with a drop of water in it at some stage. Um, you can't make your mind w- about this, can it's you? A, it's a very weird sensation because it's super smooth. You swallow it down. That's cool. Boom. Yep, and then it eases off. And then it eases off, and, and it then, turns into something else. Yep. That dry, it is very dry. It's... It's very ground. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. it comes back again. And now mm-hmm. on the sides of the tongue, you get that hotness. Yeah. It's a great whiskey. I think I think it's, this is incredibly complex. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, it was that was the best buy I've had for a long time in terms of oh, yeah. the taste. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't drink the 11-year-old down at the lower station, but I did have the same whiskey from the Swiss Mountain. And it had a lot of depth to it, but it was... Uh, a lot newer age than this so it, it, mm. it hadn't got those complexities in but highly recommend it swiss whiskey it's the first whiskey i've ever tasted that was swiss yeah um, yes uh, i actually i did buy a second one which was more a blend of scottish whiskies in a in a uh an, in, a, in a swiss distillery or, or swiss blending um but uh yeah mm-hmm. i was very very pleasantly surprised french whiskey i knew about so yeah. we we talked about the Rosalaires and we'll we'll talk, taste that a different podcast. Yes. Um, so I knew what that was like, but mm-hmm. Swiss was completely new to me. Yeah. Um, and uh, a very very pleasant surprise. Very well done, Swiss people. Yeah. So there you go. Alrighty. Well, this was a good podcast. Here we are, a uh, hundred an hour and five minutes in, sixty five minutes, and I think we've talked about a whole bunch of stuff. Yes. Um, and I think it's been pretty neat. Audio codes at Commsverse. Looking forward to uh, meeting Jason uh, in yep. uh, September. Absolutely. Please, people, don't forget the thirteenth. The uh, sorry, the 12th of September. We will send you a link. I think you're going to use the new webinar feature of MS Teams to get people to register. Or you're shaking your head. I thought you'd mentioned that before. Yeah, I was thinking about that. But then maybe I also just want to use Meetup. Perhaps. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. We'll You're see. in charge. I'll, I'll make up something. You're in charge. And send something out. Yes. But Marcus Rowell um, suggested that he would like to get our opinions on getting management and user buy-in. You know, the long-term buy-in for the whole length of the 
digital transformation. And I think we've listed uh, a whole bunch of ideas and thoughts, and I hope they are of value to you. Um, and what I what I think that we have done is that we we've identified that motivation and energy levels are key to both sides of the buy-in. And if you can keep those energy levels up and that transparency up, then there's no surprises anywhere. So everybody knows what's expected of them. Everybody knows where they're going and they know where they're going to try and reach. And I think of across all of that buy-in, that is the most important part of all of this. If everybody knows where they're going, there's no surprises. If everybody knows what their role is within this process, they know what they have to deliver. So therefore, they can make sure they have the right energy level, they can maintain it, they can supply it, and they can drive it. And I think that's the balance that you need to try and achieve. Those are great ending words. Cool. Yeah. Then I'll let you say a happy goodbye. Oh, no, I'm supposed to do the goodbyes now. Yeah, sure. Go yeah. ahead. Goodbye. Hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. That was smooth. As smooth as a Swiss whiskey, my friend. Oh, yes. yes. Bite, bite, bite. Yes. So let me then deliver the, uh, the, the peppery chili kickback. Um, so thank you a lot for listening to us. I hope you found it as valuable uh, as I did because every time we do this podcast, I learn something new. I definitely did on this podcast. Um, let us know if you've got any topics that you want us to talk about. Uh, you can uh, reach us uh, on Twitter uh, at Office365Distilled. You can reach Steve at, uh, at SciSteve. You can reach me at, at Marijn Somers on all the socials. Uh, so feel free to let us know what other subject you want us to uh, talk about. And more importantly, come and see us. Register for Commsverse, okay? Uh, I think it's just commsverse.com. I think so, yes. Yeah, but if you just yeah. search commsverse on Google, you'll find it. We're both going to be there. Um, we might even have a whiskey or two. Uh, but more importantly, uh, you'll have us. And, uh, yeah, we like to talk. Sure. All right, guys. Thank you very much. And it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from him. And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode of Office 365 Distilled. Ciao. <laughs> We are not millennials, we are mature. Steve may be more than Maren. Maturing the business like whiskey in a barrel. <laughs>